for the weekend and you may recall my dad wound up in the hospital and had to have five stints put in. And then we invited him back again and right before they came, my mom wound up in the hospital and you remember praying for my mom because uh, she had her heart surgery uh, twice. Well, we invited him to come back again this weekend and then lo and behold, as you knew, I wound up in the hospital for heart stuff. Well, it's a miracle. They're actually here. So my mom and dad are right back here. Just wave. <laughs> so God is good. And thanks for all your prayers. And uh, actually for our whole family, thank you. It's really great. Uh, I just appreciate everything you've done. Thank you. Well, as we dive in, turn to the book of Nehemiah. It's on page 344. We're going to do three chapters today. We're going to cover three of them. Now, this is a little bit different, the message today, because I really believe this message is for every single person that's here today. You know, oftentimes I'll have a message that, that it'll apply to a person in their circumstance and maybe not someone else. And over the course of time, it's, it's God seems to speak to every single one of us. But today is different. I believe that God has something that He wants to say to every single person today, except that you're going to have to find out what it is that God wants to say to you. So I'm really going to turn this back to you and I'm going to invite you to join me on this journey to see how is this message applying to you in your life and what I even mean by that is that I need you to go back this week, sometime even today, and I want you to read through Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6 with a prayer to God saying, God, what is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? Because I really think there's something in there for every single person, and God wants to speak to us today. Now, some of you might have hit what we might call the proverbial brick wall in your life. Anybody ever hit one of those? Anybody? All right, good. You may be there right now, and you may be in the rebuilding stage. This is why we have this wall up here, because we're rebuilding. And so sometimes when you hit the wall, and sometimes your life kind of collapses, and now you're in the rebuilding stage, God knows exactly where you are in the stage. You're either, maybe you're going along just fine and you're going to hit a brick wall. Or maybe you did hit a brick wall. Or maybe you hit the brick wall and now you're in the rebuilding stage and God has something that He wants to speak to you today. And what we're going to see in, in Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6 is we're going to see that as God called Nehemiah to rebuild this wall, and, and if you recall, he was in Iraq of today, in Persia, and God called Nehemiah to go back 800 miles back to Jerusalem, and God entrusted him and said, I want you to go back and rebuild this wall. Now, he had never been to Jerusalem. He had never seen the wall. He didn't really know a whole lot about it, and yet he followed what God wanted him to do, and he gets back to build the wall. Now, you would think, this is just common sense, you would think that if God is raising you up to do something for Him, that things might go just a little bit easier, wouldn't you? I mean, I see some of you laughing, because you know that's not the case. But wouldn't you think that if God wants you to do something, that God would make it a little bit easier so that you could accomplish what He wants you to do? Well, He doesn't in this case. And it seems like Nehemiah comes back and gets all kinds of resistance to building this wall. Chapter 4 is about external opposition. 
those from the outside that are resisting greatly from Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. Chapter 5, when we cover that, is the internal opposition that's going on. And chapter 6 is the personal attacks on Nehemiah as the leader of the project to stop the whole project. And in spite of all of that opposition, it still gets built. Okay, let's, let's dive right in. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their walls of stones. Okay, now, let me just introduce you to these four goons, we might call them, okay? Because they represent four different places. Sanballat is the governor of Samaria. This would be north of Jerusalem. So one of these guys who is the governor there and has an army at his disposal is greatly fighting against Jerusalem. Then you have this other guy, Tobiah. He's out in the east with the Ammonites and he's fighting against them. Then you're going to find out later in this chapter that there's a guy named Gershon who's from the south. Um, he's an Arab from the south and they're fighting against Jerusalem to complete the wall. And then you have these other guys who are just a little bit further over to the west and they're fighting against him. Um, there's people from the men of Ashdod are from the west. So in other words, what you have is you have all four regions all around Jerusalem fighting against Jerusalem fighting against the Jews to complete what God wanted them to do. And they're going to do everything that they can to attack them. Okay, now this is where you might want to mark up your Bibles and take some notes on it, write in the margins, do whatever you need to do just so that you can kind of follow along. Look at verse 9 for just a moment. But we, oh, I'm sorry, I went too far. Verse 4. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Whenever you face opposition, the first thing that Nehemiah did was he prayed. It's the first thing to take with you. Because I think so often in our lives, uh, we may see prayer almost as a last resort. And not everybody, but sometimes when we face opposition or we face a struggle, what we try to do is we try to, we try to handle it on our own. We do everything that we can. And when we can't, then we go, well, maybe I should pray. Maybe that'll work because everything else I've tried didn't work. But Nehemiah is going to teach us to flip those two around. He's going to encourage us to do the first thing, and that's when something happens, take it to God first and pray. But don't just pray, as we're going to see in the following verses now. He wants us to act. Pray first, then act. And sometimes, let me just stay on this topic for a minute. Sometimes I hear people, when something's going on in their life, I'll hear people say, well, just pray about it. Okay. 
But God wants us to act too. And on the other side, I hear people say, I'm just doing all these things. Well, did you pray? No. Maybe you should pray. But Nehemiah is going to be the one to say, first pray, then act. See, if you're facing a wall, let's say you hit this wall, and God wants you to maybe go through that wall, or over that wall, or around that wall, or God may tell you, you're not going through that wall. You're changing directions. And you don't know without stopping and spending that time with God to find out what God wants you to do. And you may start acting and God may say, that's not what I want. And so first is pray, then act. But you know what? Do you realize that sometimes this might take years? You might hit a wall and you might sit there for years and saying, God, am I supposed to go over that wall, through that wall? Am I, are you leading me in a different direction? And God may not tell us right away. So step one is pray. Then what? Act. Pray and act. Okay, and that's exactly what he does. So he prays, and then he acts. Okay, now, jump down to verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So the people came in from Jerusalem. They came from outside Jerusalem, and they were working really fast, really hard, with all their might, and they were starting to get tired. Verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So here you have a second time. Now they're plotting to come and stop it. What does he do? Verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. See, there's the first indicator. They prayed, he acted, but he didn't just stop there. Verse 10, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Their hearts were getting discouraged. And God didn't want their hearts to get discouraged in this. And then it was even increasing, because verse 11 talks about they're plotting again to come and surprise attack them and actually kill them. So if you see, it just keeps mounting. Well, Nehemiah keeps praying through this, but then he acts. Here's what he does. In verse 13, now you can read this yourself, but let me just walk you through what he does. In verse 13, he gathers families together and says work as a family. Now that may seem, you know, I don't know if that seems odd or not, but it would be kind of like this. If we said, okay, we're going to stop worship right now and we're just going to go clean the church right now. We're going to take 45 minutes and clean up the church. My guess would be you probably wouldn't be working with your families. Your kids would run off here. Maybe your spouse would go and, and you would be kind of working. And that's where Nehemiah was a little bit afraid. And he said, you know what? If we get attacked, everybody's going to be more concerned about how their family's doing than about facing the opposition so he gathers them together and says, work as a family. So that if something comes, you know your family's safe because they're with you. Then verse 14, he tells them, don't be afraid. 
Remember the Lord. Look at verse 14, okay? After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. How often do you and I take our eyes off of God and focus it on opposition? You ever do that? How many of us focus on the problem and we start worrying about the problem? And Nehemiah says, time out. Where are you focusing? Remember the Lord. God is the one that's going to do this. And he refocuses them back on the Lord and says, don't forget that. But he doesn't stop there. You can read in verse 15 and 16, the enemies hear or find out what the Jews are doing and so they stop their surprise attack. And then verse 15, what he does is, or 16, he gathers all the workers together and says, all right, here's what we're going to do from now on. Half of you work on the wall. Half of you guard those working on the wall. And then we're going to put all of the officers in front of them so that if we get attacked, it'll be through the officers first, then through all those who are protecting, then lastly, those that are on the wall to build. And that seemed like a good idea, so that's what they did. They slowed the process down, and they kept accomplishing what God wanted. Then he did one more thing. Verse 19, he gathers a trumpeter and he says, he calls a trumpeter and says, you stick right by me. Because if we get attacked, I want you to blow the trumpet and all the people will gather where the trumpet's blowing so that we can unified, we can face whatever the enemy is going to do. And there's a key there. To unify for facing opposition that's external. Then verse 22, the last thing he says is those that were staying out in the fields, he encourages them, you know what? Don't do that until we get this wall built. Come inside the protection of, of the walls of Jerusalem so that we can be together as we face this opposition. But isn't it amazing sometimes, um, before we go to chapter 5, sometimes opposition happens from within. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever been a part of a church that forgets and all of a sudden there's all these internal strife and struggles? And I'm thankful that Messiah doesn't have that. Or how about in your company? Maybe you're working in a company right now that you forgot that everybody in the company is working together to advance the business and you forget that and also now there's all this internal strife and fighting and backstabbing and all this stuff going on and all of a sudden you wonder who are we, who are we fighting? We're fighting each other. We're not doing anything because we're too busy fighting. Well, that happened in the Israelites. That chapter 4 was opposition on the outside. Now it's opposition on the inside. Okay, chapter 5. The first uh, five verses talk about three things that were going on. Number one, they were starting to get hungry. That makes sense. Would you put yourself in their shoes for a minute? Let's just say we were going to build something here at Messiah. Okay? Internally, we're going to build something. We're going to build a new, a new room or something. And we encourage every single one of you to quit your jobs for the next 60 days. Just tell your employer, can't go to work. I'm going to be working at my church. And you're working here for the next 60 days. How long would it take till you'd start to say... Um, we're getting hungry and I'm not getting a paycheck. 
Well, that happened to the Israelites. They gave up their jobs. They weren't working their fields. They were getting hungry. And so they're like, uh, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to rebuild the wall? How are we going to eat? How are we going to do all this stuff? And so they start complaining about, look, we're, we're getting hungry and we need some help. Then, second thing was they began to borrow so that they didn't have to quit their jobs you know, on the wall and go back to their lands. They began to borrow against their land. Then the third thing happened is that when they were borrowing money for their land, the landowners, who were also like their brothers and sisters in, in Christ, began to charge them excessive interest. So now they're being taken advantage of. So they're hungry, borrowing, being taken advantage of. And all this is going on while they're trying to build the wall. And it wasn't going real well. I thought you'd enjoy this part. Look at verse 9 of chapter 5. So I, Nehemiah, continued, What you are doing is not right, meaning the landowners. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. You know what that means? That means the excessive charge of interest has to stop. Verse 11, Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses that were taken as collateral. And also the usury you're charging them. The hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I had to go look. I'm like, hundredth part. I'm curious. What does that mean? Well, it's one one hundredths. In a percentage, what percentage is that? One percent. They were charging one percent a month. How much is that a year? 12% a year, right? Annual percentage rate, 12% a year. Well, if you look in the Old Testament in the law, they were breaking the law. That was sinful to charge 12%. And Nehemiah was fed up and said, you are sinning against God. Give it back. Well, just out of curiosity, I called AT&T, Citibank, you know. I said, how much do you charge for purchases? 14%. I found that interesting. Discover card, 17%. Menards, Lowe's, 24%. And I just found that kind of Interesting. As a society, we think that's normal. And what does God say? That's why God says, don't borrow. But 12%, God was angry about, and Nehemiah said, give it back. And they said, okay. So they actually did. They gave it back. So those were some of the internal conflicts that were going on. But that wasn't enough. Uh, wasn't enough. There, now there's other attacks. Chapter 6, as we look at chapter 6, because he didn't stop building the wall and he kept doing what God wanted him to do, now the attacks started to increase on him individually. Have you ever felt like you were under attack? Personally? That people are attacking you? People at your workplace are attacking you? Maybe people in your family are attacking you? Those are sometimes the hardest ones to deal with. 
Well, Nehemiah in chapter 6 personally is getting attacked. Look at verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of... Oh, no. <laughs> I like that. Oh, no. That should have been enough. Let's meet it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's not do it. So he doesn't do it. In fact, four times he says, why would I stop building the wall to go meet with you? Well, this is what they were saying. Well, just come on. We'll work this out. Come on. We can negotiate this out. This will be fine. Just come on out and see us. Well, they plan to kill him. And he said no four times. So they step it up. Verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Now, just see the humor in this. Geshem, this is one of these rats, okay? One of these goons. How credible is he? He has no credibility, right? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I heard, and Geshem says it's true, so it's got to be true. I heard from a very reliable source. Have you ever heard that or said that? Don't do that stuff. Because you're just spreading gossip. And that's what they were doing. So he writes, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you're rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let's confer together. See what he does? He lies. And then he puts it in an unsealed letter and says, oh, by the way, your boss, the king of Persia, he's going to find out about this. Now, what's this deal with an unsealed letter in verse 5? If you were going to send a letter to the governor of Michigan and you put the letter in an envelope, what would you do to the envelope? Seal it. I mean, that's just common sense. What they did in this time, because they didn't have glue, they would use hot wax with a signet ring and they would seal it with their ring so that you knew who it was from. And if somebody opened it along the way and you got a letter that was unsealed, the person who actually was the aide, the, the sender of the letter, could be put to death for it. Well, what does this guy do, Sanballat, is he writes this big rumor in an unsealed letter and hands it to his aide and says, uh, make sure at least 100 people see this letter on the way. And he puts it in an unsealed letter so that everybody could read the letter. Now, I don't know about you, but let's just say we found a letter from President Clinton. Wouldn't everybody be curious to read the letter? Everybody would. Everybody would be reading that letter. That's what happened. So all of a sudden, now all these rumors are being spread against Nehemiah. And look what he says. Verse 8, I send him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Translate, you're nuts. You made this up. You're crazy. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do anything. But now look at verse 9. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. When you pray, now strengthen my hands, what do you go do? You go back to work and you act. He didn't say, God, I'm really worried about this and I'm praying about this. He prayed, then he went back to work. There's a great message for us, friends. You can read on after that that they actually hire false prophets to lie again. And he doesn't do any of them. He keeps his focus on what God wants him to do. Jump down to verse 15. So the wall was completed in the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Isn't God amazing? What would have happened along the way if Nehemiah would have succumbed to all of their opposition and stopped? Their self-confidence would have soared. But God called Nehemiah to be persistent in the face of opposition. And God was honored. Now, let me just, I want you to draw three things out of this, okay? For our practical, for us, for our lives. Number one, when you hit a wall, the first thing of any sort, small or big, first step is what did Nehemiah do? Number one, prayed. And I want to encourage you, pray first and ask God. Seek God first. The second one goes right along with it. Seek God's will. Here's what I mean by that. Are you supposed to push through this wall? Or are you supposed to just change course so that you're always right where God wants you, no matter what? The third is act. Then act on it. But when you're ready to act on it, make sure that you're doing what God wants you to do. But before I close, just take a journey with me over here, just to this cross. I want you to see this because you have to understand that even though we're talking about Nehemiah, this is all about Jesus. It's all about God. God gave up his life for you. God sent his only son to die for you. To give you hope. To give you purpose. So that you know that you're loved by God. And so that wherever you are in your life, there's one promise that I want you to take with you today. And that's the promise that this Savior gave you after he died and rose again and he said, I am with you, how often? Forever. And you know that God loves you because he died for you. And when you hit the wall, God's not punishing you. He was already punished. And when you hit those walls, or God calls you to do something and raising up a wall or whatever it is that God's leading, God's with you every step of the way. And you may hit the wall and be sitting in the dust 
and saying, wow, what just happened? You know that you've got one companion with you at all times who says, I'll never leave you. And I'm going to be here with you every step of the way. No matter what God is leading you, wherever you are, friends, take this step first. And start with Jesus and say, what is it, God? What is it I'm supposed to learn from this? Let's pray together. God, you're an amazing God. And you sent your only son to die for us and suffer on our behalf. And the walls that we face sometimes seem monumental. But in light of our salvation, it's not very significant. But Lord, sometimes in our lives, we're just, we hit walls, so many different kinds of walls. And it just causes us to just drop. We pray that wherever we are, God, that you would just, we know you're with us. He would just assure us of your presence in our lives. And then, Lord, help us to do whatever it is that you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our worship with the receiving of the tithes and offerings as we also sing this song. When I survey the my 
Pastor Ed challenged us that today's message would be one that we would need to do some work with and, and apply it to our lives. As we take time for us to consider whether we would 